Beth Bennett, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, February 26, 2019. Coming up, we talk with the CEO and business director of a Boulder startup with a new method to remedy a big problem of MRI technology. with a look at some of the recent news in science. We'll dive into how cancer can be diagnosed in people later in the show, but before we get there, let's talk about how widespread cancer is in the animal kingdom, and also how ancient. Who knew that turtles get cancer? Well, not only that, but they've been getting it for a long time. Recently, a team of researchers from Germany and the U.S. described a type of bone cancer in a 240-million-year-old turtle fossil. This turtle is so ancient, it lacked a shell, but it was hit hard with a highly malignant form of bone cancer, which looked a lot like the same type of cancer found in humans today. Paleopathologists study ancient diseases as a way to understand the evolution of pathogens, immune systems, healing physiology, and ultimately the environment. These scientists have found that although some animals have a high propensity for cancers, others seem to be resistant. Now these scientists have pushed the age of cancer invertebrates, which share some developmental paths with us, further back than previously known. Of course, because the fossil record only preserves hard tissues, it's not possible to look for cancers of non-bony structures. This study showed that cancer is not a modern physiological problem, but rather a vulnerability that's rooted deep in our evolutionary history. This study was published this month in the journal JAMA oncology. Couch potatoes, listen up. Staying fit has never seemed so easy. A new study suggests that only five minutes a day of working out without lifting weights or jogging one step could reduce your risk of heart attack, help you think more clearly, and possibly boost your physical and cognitive performance. That's according to a team of researchers at the University of Colorado Boulder. They've launched a clinical trial involving 50 subjects to learn more about an ultra-time-efficient exercise called Inspiratory Muscle Strength Training, or IMST. IMST, which was developed in the 1980s as a means to wean critically ill people off ventilators, involves breathing in vigorously through a handheld device, an inspiratory muscle trainer, which provides resistance. Imagine sucking hard through a straw that sucks back. During early use in patients with lung diseases, patients performed a 30-minute low-resistant regimen daily to boost their lung capacity. That amount of aerobic exercise has clearly been shown to lower blood pressure, but only about 5% of adults actually meet that minimum. Meanwhile, 65% of midlife adults have high systolic blood pressure, which signifies the pressure in your vessels when your heart beats. The new trial aims to develop time-efficient interventions that busy midlife adults will actually perform, according to Doug Seals, director of the Integrative Physiology of Aging Laboratory at CU Boulder. Preliminary data look promising. 
The researchers have found large drops in blood pressure and improvements in large artery function among the individual subjects who performed IMST. By contrast, subjects who used a sham breathing device that delivered low resistance showed no changes. And so far, the IMST group is also performing better on certain cognitive and memory tests. Sure makes staying mentally and physically healthy seem a lot less tedious, doesn't it? On the Front Range Science Calendar, the CU Museum of Natural History, located on Broadway near the UMC, now has morning programs for preschoolers twice a week. You can bring your favorite preschooler to the Discovery Center for a hands-on introduction to the world of science, literacy, and nature. The program is free, and while the Monday and Wednesday classes will feature the same content, each month will feature a different theme. This workshop is for parents, grandparents, and caregivers with children ages 2 to 5. This month's workshops will explore trees and all they do to support habitats and humans. The next workshop is tomorrow, February 27th, from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. In the studio with me are William Hollander and Kevin Miller of Caliber MD, a Boulder startup focused on transforming MRI technology. Traditional MRI scans can result in a large difference between readings on different equipment. The results can be costly and misleading, as conditions like cancer can go undiagnosed and or misdiagnosed. Well, welcome to the program, Bill and Kevin. Thank you, Beth. Yeah, thanks for coming in today. And let's start out by talking just a little bit about what exactly MRIs do and how they're used and why they're beneficial. The main function of the MRI is to collect data about the health or disease state of tissue. And it does it by collecting, uh, by reading the data and um, in its magnetic resonance properties. That's what MR stands for. And so what an MRI machine typically does is to take that data and convert it into a picture that we can look at, that the radiologist looks at, in order to um, evaluate the condition of the patient. What we're talking about doing is instead of going from the data to a picture to an interpretation, instead being able to go directly from the data to a diagnostic or a help for the diagnostic um, directly and, uh, and eliminate the subjective interpretation of the picture. So what you're proposing to do is skip the radiologist in there and let an artificial intelligence make the diagnosis? Not quite. The radiologist uh, has plenty of work to do even with this system, but the radiologist will be assisted by the um, the enhanced imagery, the enhanced graphics, and the connection with uh, a huge, potentially, eventually, a huge database of, uh, of physiology information linked to image uh, data. So many of us have had MRIs, but for those of us who haven't, it's often kind of a fuzzy picture because the the great thing about MRIs is that they can image soft tissue 
unlike x-rays, which are really good at imaging hard tissue but don't tell us much at all about soft tissue. But when you see this soft tissue, it's all shades of gray. And having seen my own MRI not too long ago, it was pretty mysterious to me how a radiologist could actually interpret it. So it sounds like your program, which will actually devise standards associated with specific tissue states, will be really valuable. The the problem is that radiologists are very good at uh, interpreting data and in the form of these pictures. They look at an image and they say, this part of the image is a little darker than that part. And based on my knowledge of physiology and so forth, I think that darkness indicates something or other, disease, health, or somewhere in between. Um, the trouble is that not all radiologists interpret the images the same, not all MRI scanners read the same. And so if you add all that up, what you end up with is a, is a very subjective judgment of the condition of your tissue. And so if you go to one hospital or radiology clinic and get an image on your heart or your knee or your breast or your prostate or whatever it is, and now you go down the street to another one, the, the two diagnoses that come from those images won't be the same. So the idea here, the thing that we are working on, is to provide a ground truth a standard where these images can all be normalized. So regardless of where you go, you would have the same answer, as it were. And then to be able to associate the values of tissue, the MR values, with disease or health states of tissue. So there's really two types of standards that you are proposing. The ground base, which is kind of a control, and then the disease state, which is the experimental. Am I right about that? I would put it differently. So the, the, we build these things that are called tissue mimic phantoms or standards, and those are physical devices. One for a head standard, for instance, will be a, a sphere roughly the size of a person's head, and in it will be a bunch of elements that all have very specific MR properties traceable to the National Bureau of Standards, or NIST, and that's your ground truth. So when you put that standard into an MRI machine and image it, it ought to look a certain way. And we know the way it ought to look because we have validated it through a whole traceability process with the, um, with the scientists at NIST. So it doesn't have to look like a brain. It just has to have a certain set of parameters that any machine will... Will identify as, as a relaxation of 250 milliseconds of this parameter. That's what the machine needs to see. And any machine you put this in ought to see the same value. Then, on the basis of that, when you or I get a scan, having just calibrated the machine, you can say, okay, the tissue in your knee measures such and such. And eventually, as the database for these quantitative images builds up, we'll be able to say a value of 250 milliseconds of this sort of tissue, of this parameter, means that you have a healthy state or a diseased state. And if it's 200 or 300, that means something different. So that'll allow elimination of potentially millions of unnecessary biopsies when it's clear from this sort of data-based um, quantitative MRI that you're in the clear with respect to such and such a condition. I see. So this eliminate, eliminates two potential sources of error. One is 
um, differences between machines and base readings off the machine, and secondly, readings by different people. Right. So that's fantastic. So this is a big deal, and it's a recognized uh, deficiency of MRI. It's been recognized by the manufacturers of the MRI machines and the radiology organizations and so forth. They approached NIST here in Boulder and said, we need some help with standards. The scientists at NIST said, we can do that. We know a lot about this stuff. And so they began um, this project, which our company participated in, to develop physical standards. Now what we're doing in Caliber MD is to take those standards and wrap them essentially in software that allows the normalization of imagery and then eventually in the uh, diagnostic assistant, assistance provided, providable to uh, radiologists. And you've received a grant from NIH recently that will allow you to test this in real people. That's right. Uh, we're we're working uh, with NIH and, and more specifically the National Cancer Institute uh, on uh, taking uh, and getting screening data, uh, evaluation data of uh, of the standards in uh, many different locations around the country. Uh, so we get the the benefit of looking at different machine types from uh, different uh, manufacturers, as well as uh, 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 getting the feedback from different uh, clinics that use different protocols uh, and uh, being able to optimize those protocols and then getting the screening data back from all of those uh, uh, evaluations and being able to compare it and figure out what what's the best most effective way uh, to build a commercial tool uh, that can be uh, broadly broadly uh, utilized uh, by radiologists in improving uh, their performance and improving patient outcomes by eliminating unnecessary biopsies uh, and uh, uh, reducing ambiguity on uh, disease tissue. So I know that in clinical trials for drugs, the phase one or the first uh, step in a clinical, a multi-step clinical trial is safety. So is this analogous to a phase one drug trial where you, you're looking not so much at safety of the machine, but just what is going on across all these different centers so you can actually um, then go from there to do real tests in people? Or is this really testing um, health states or disease states in people? At, at this point, it's more the former, uh, but it's uh, uh, being integrated into a ongoing uh, uh, clinical trial called iSpy2. And the exciting thing about iSpy2 is that uh, as opposed to uh, a drug trial, which tends to be a, a, a very, very arduous uh, and drawn-out process, iSpy2 is structured by NIH uh, and NCI to move fast, uh, not, not to get hung up on, uh, on uh, uh, detail and uh, to uh, do, a, do a trial of a... A particular protocol, uh, and if it if it, it looks positive, press ahead with that, and otherwise uh, uh, deviate onto a, a different uh, approach. 
Well, that's very exciting. Um, So for our listeners who might just be joining us, I'm talking to William Hollander and Kevin Miller of Caliber MD, a Boulder startup focused on transforming medical imaging through quantification and standardization of traditional MRI equipment. So to recap, in this new clinical trial, has it started already then? It is. Uh, the, uh, uh, the effort's underway. We are in what uh, National Cancer Institute refers to as a phase one, uh, but uh, we are on a fast track program, uh, which is their terminology for meaning that the, uh, it's their intent to uh, fund us all the way through uh, the, the full development effort. So since it's fast track, when do you anticipate having a product that you can start using in the clinic? We're, we're uh, uh, looking to get enough data out of phase one uh, that we'll be able to uh, formulate a uh, beta version of uh, the software system. Uh, our initial focus is on uh, uh, the uh, uh, diagnosis of breast tissues, uh, and we're working with our partners at University of California, San, San Francisco, uh, on that. Uh, and we expect to have uh, data uh, still this year uh, and uh, convert that into commercial product, which is beyond uh, the scope of the grant uh, uh, at the early quarter, first quarter of 2020. Oh, that's fantastic. So you have some lovely pictures on your website of um, beautiful color images, which even I could see that there is a potential disease state in different colors. But I'm wondering how you tell a computer how to interpret these different conditions from the image data. That's a tricky question. Um, what, what the computer will do is take the data associated with each uh, area of the tissue that you're looking at that's been scanned and, um, and create a false color map of it that the tissue isn't colored, but what it does is it assigns, um, say, a red tint to the part of the image whose values are above such and such and um, blue with a, say, lower value. And by providing that kind of enhanced value imagery to the radiologist, they will be able to make a better assessment of what's going on with the patient. So, um, and again, if it's all related to an absolute standard, not just the way the machine imaged it today, but an absolute standard that would be the same day in and day out. Now you take essentially the machine out of the picture and you're just looking at patient data at that point. It also has the virtue that in the the machine is uh, normalized, whichever machine you happen to be going to at this hospital or that one, if you're going to be doing the monitoring of a condition that you're, say, taking a drug for or doing some therapy for or you're in a watchful waiting mode, um, you can do a longitudinal study and you can be assured that if you do an image today and then in six months and then in another six months that the difference between those is in the physiology. It isn't the fact that they have um, updated the software on that MRI machine in between your two scans, and now what you're seeing is a difference in the way the machine looks at it, or a different radiologist looks at it today and in six months and in a year. So this this makes it possible to do longitudinal studies that just are not um, practical these days with subjective MRI. Okay, and speaking of longitudinal studies, I'm wondering if the fact that 
the computer knows exactly where to look for in the tissue if that will make it faster, easier, cheaper to do subsequent MRIs in a longitudinal study or a longitudinal assessment of the same patient because the computer knows exactly where to go in the tissue instead of, for instance, having to do the whole abdomen. You could just do like a two-inch square. It isn't actually that 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 saves the time as much as the fact that when you're collecting data as opposed to trying to synthesize a picture, um, the amount of time it can take to do the MRI scan it can be reduced greatly. There's a there's a process called MR fingerprinting uh, that's been developed. Case Western uh, Reserve uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Mark Griswold has uh, developed that technique and is now working with one of the uh, manufacturers of MR machines, one of the more prominent manufacturers of MR machines to uh, enhance that uh, capability. But what it can do is it will take a 45-minute scan and turn it into about 10 minutes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So this is a thing that's also valuable to the hospitals because if they can um, cut the amount of time that it takes to do a given person's scan, they can do more in a day. Their return on investment's better. Um, the patient doesn't have to sit in the MRI machine as long. That's especially uh, valuable for children or people who are claustrophobic or or who have something to do. Um, <laughs> most but, of us. <laughs> like, like most of us. But um, so there there are benefits to patients, as I mentioned, in terms of uh, fewer unnecessary biopsies. And, uh, and I think that also we're discovering that the payers, um, the Center for um, Medicare and Medicaid Services and so forth, they are increasingly interested in having mm-hmm. these um, quantified images and uh, may eventually require that uh, that this technology be used in order to get a reimbursement. And I think the radiology community is also excited, uh, kind of along the lines of what you're saying, uh, Beth, that uh, uh, being able to uh, the the uh, data volumes out of a scan set, uh, like Bill's describing, are enormous. And while uh, the complexities of uh, the scan results uh, are, are uh, uh, beyond, uh, uh, almost beyond imagination, uh, being able to uh, hone in on areas of, of uh, uh, greatest interest, uh, whether, whether that turns out to be a uh, necrotic tissue uh, or a uh, artifact of some susceptibility, uh, helps uh, the radiologists uh, reduce their evaluation and diagnosis time. I'm so glad you mentioned the radiologists because that leads me to my next question. I know that there's been growing acceptance of AI that is artificial intelligence or computer-assisted diagnosis and um, even training in the biomedical fields. Like, for instance, a lot of surgeons are now training with um, AI types of instruments um, so they don't have to operate on real people, which is a great advancement in my opinion. But I was curious about, you know, how the radiology field viewed this, you know, as as competition or as enhancement. And it sounds like definitely the latter, like people are open to it and accepting of it. Yeah, and especially radiologists are actually under quite a bit of pressure to produce uh, this many uh, readings in a day with this level of accuracy and they're scored on it and so forth. To have the kind of computer-assisted tools analogous to the tools that engineers use that don't eliminate the, 
need for engineers, but rather make them much more effective, this that's an attractive thing to um, to radiologists as opposed to being a threat. Right, right. And I can definitely understand that the payers, like you were mentioning earlier, would see it as a benefit as well, which would then trickle down to the radiologists because there would be less pressure on them. That's right. So it's a, a win-win-win, uh, like, like you rarely see. Uh, Department of Commerce and NIH have made uh, some initial investments, uh, and uh, that benefits uh, uh, everyone along the chain, be, being uh, uh, whether it be uh, the technicians, the radiologists, uh, and even even the patients. Uh, and so we're pretty excited to be in the middle yeah. of all that. Yeah, that's great. So are you um, signing up patients locally for the clinical trial, or is it um, all taking place at other centers? So far, we're just uh, involved primarily with this uh, UCSF project, but we have sold these physical phantoms, just the ground truth standards, tissue mimic standards. We've sold a few hundred of these to research uh, hospitals around the world, mostly in this country, but actually with a fair amount of interest outside of the U.S. And they're all doing research to associate uh, tissue values to um, or MR values to tissue properties. And um, so we are beginning to collect data from these uh, these people that have implemented, begun to implement the system. They haven't got the value of the uh, software that we will be developing in the course of this NIH grant, but that would be a kind of a next step. I see, and that led me to my next question, which is your next step. So you do have other projects lined up after well, the trial. Right. What we're doing right now is Caliber MD is uh, is in a seed funding uh, round to raise some initial money to move this forward. Um, it the parent company of Caliber MD, which is High Precision Devices or HPD here in Boulder, has invested um, a good portion of a million dollars in this technology. Um, and so, uh, right now, what we're working on doing is taking the the um, um, the progress that we've made so far, and um, and wrapping it in this software development, so that's the part that is going to be coming next, and um, that we are most excited about. Okay, well, we have been speaking with William Hollander and Kevin Miller of Caliber MD about their novel platform for transforming MRI technology to standardized output from any machine. They're going to use their new grant from the National Cancer Institute to mature and test that technology. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is me, Beth Bennett, and I produce this week's show. Maeve Conrad engineered and additional contributions from Susan Moran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler and additional music from Ludwig van Beethoven. You can visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.